We are continuing our series uh, titled The Kingdom of God is Like, and uh, we're going through the parables of Jesus. Uh, and so we're going to have scripture read uh, this morning, and we'll stand in just a moment. Rich Craig um, was scheduled to be here to read scripture, uh, but he's not here. In his place is John the Baptist. So John, Johnny B., will you please come, and let's stand, let's, let's hear God's word read by the Johnny B., Good luck. Jealousy. (laughs) The parable of the weeds. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the wheat, excuse me, When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you. Please be seated. So then Jesus goes on uh, to tell more parables. The one about the mustard seed that we talked about last week. Another one about baking bread. Matthew helps uh, his readers understand what's going on, and he, he quotes a psalm that's really prophecy psalm, uh, 78, verse 2, that says, quote, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. And then in verse 3, the, the psalmist speaks that he's going to call upon the history of Israel. Psalm 78, verse 4, by the way, is up in our family room. There's a, a wall decal. So in, as you're, you head out, I'd encourage you to, to take a look at that. But he's, he's helping uh, the listeners understand that what Jesus is doing is, is revealing through parable and concealing through parable secrets hidden since the creation of the world. And so as we've seen through our series, after Jesus talks to the crowds and he, he shares in these story forms of things that they could understand, uh, agricultural stories or stories about uh, day-to-day life, behind closed doors, just himself with his disciples, he unpacks what he's been teaching. And so I'll pick up the reading from verse 36, and you don't need to stand again, but listen now uh, to how he explains what he's just taught. Verse 36. Then Jesus left the crowd and went inside the house. His disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The the field is the world, and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything 
that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Pretty intense, right? The, the son of man, the most common uh, self-reference that Jesus uses, a, a reference to the one that will come to bring judgment. Angels, uh, the devil, a blazing furnace, uh, weeping and gnashing of teeth, a shining sun and, and kingdom. This is apocalyptic imagery. This is a, a callback to the book of Daniel that was prophecy written about the end of the age, the, the day of judgment and the coming end of the age. And it speaks here in, in hellish symbolism. Now besides John the Baptist, Jesus taught about hell more than anyone else in the New Testament. He used figurative, sim symbolic language to describe a terrible reality. Now in Luke 16, when he references uh, that judgment, he talks about hell as utter darkness. And then here in this passage, in Matthew 25, he speaks of it as, as fire. And so one reference is darkness, and one there is fire, which means there's light. How do, you, how do you square that circle? Well, again, this is figurative language. That doesn't mean that it's not real. It means that he's, he's using imagery to help us understand a deeper reality. I've referenced, I didn't tell you I was going to do this, honey. I've re referenced my beautiful wife, Cheryl, of almost 25 years. Many times I've described her as a spicy burrito. <laughs> now, she's not literally a spicy burrito. I don't like spicy burritos. Uh, but she's passionate. She's, pa she's not a wallflower either, is she? See, figurative language, but speaking to a to a deeper meaning. So Jesus here explains the parable. He peels back uh, the, 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 the facade of the storyline to give it, the disciples a deeper meaning. And in addressing that deeper meaning, their question is, what is that parable about? There's a question behind the question. The question that the disciples were asking. The question that the disciples of John the Baptist who left John to follow Jesus, they were asking as well. And the question is this. How long, O oh Lord? How much longer must we put up with, with evil and violence and sin in the world? Are you not the Messiah? Have you not come to bring the kingdom? How much longer do we have to deal with this mess? Shouldn't we then go out and, and just pull out the weeds, just yank them out and, and get things started? Your kingdom has come. So Jesus is addressing that deeper question as well. The Lord says, in effect, all in good time. All in good time. In the end, justice will be served. But his disciples didn't understand what, what he was meaning by this. Not yet. That, that King Jesus dealt the decisive blow to, to sin and evil and violence at Calvary on the cross. But they don't understand that yet. Nor do they understand that that final day will come according to the Father's timetable. Later in Scripture, he'll say, no one knows uh, the time except for the Father. And so even now, we are living in these last days. And when he comes and he finishes that work and removes all that evil and sin, 
It'll be an act of mercy and grace and love. How do we square that circle when we talk about these hellish images? Well, let's look at the parable again. And if you have your Bible in paper form or app, let's just look at it again. Let's look at verses 24 to 30, which was uh, the, the story as told to the crowds. And then let's look at his explanation in verses 36 to, to 43. It says that the farmer goes, sows the seed, goes to sleep. His servants are asleep. That, that's what people do. They go to bed. And then the enemy comes and sows weeds. Can you imagine doing that? But there's actually a history of that, overseeding a field to try to ruin someone's crop with, with weeds. And commentators think that the weeds that were used here would be Darnell weeds, which was a, a, a rye-type weed that looked very similar to wheat, which is something that we eat when it's young. But as it grows and grows, it's not until it's almost fully grown that it's not no longer, it's not wheat, it's Darnell, which actually has a black seed that's poisonous. They would understand this. And we understand, and very commonly known, this is the parable of the weeds. It says right there in my Bible, parable of the weeds, the weed and tares. And very often it's interpreted this way. Well, there are, there are weeds and there's wheat. There are, are true believers and there are false believers there's there's good and bad and, and they're both growing up together and and so the, the message is be patient just be patient that there are both saved and unsaved people in the church and so we just need to be patient with god and just trust uh, it all to work out according to god's good will now there is truth to that notion there's truth to the notion that the visible church is not the same as the invisible church. Only God knows a person's heart and their condition before the Lord. And, and there's some wisdom in helping us understand why is there... Oh, sweetheart, come back. Why, why are there divisions in church? Why is there hypocrisy in church? Why do people get hurt in, in a place where there should be love and care? Why is this happening? This, this understanding of the parable speaks to that and that idea that there are people that are true believers in Christ and there are those that are uh, Christians in name only and only at the end of the age will we know and so we must be patient and in discipleship. And that's true and that's fine, but that's not what Jesus is teaching here. The parable has far bigger implications and application than you or I looking at each other, looking at the people you're sitting around suspiciously wondering who's in or out. In fact, that's very contrary to the message of Jesus. So let's look at how Jesus defines the terms. Look at verses uh, 36 to 43. He, he almost gives us just a straight glossary. This is this, this is that. The one who sowed the seed, the son of man, his own favorite title. The seed... This good news is planted, he says, grows up actually to be uh, wheat. Look at verse 38. The field. The field is what? The world. Cosmos. Uh, the field, the kingdom of God, is not limited to, to a church or a building or just one community or, or, or a little nation with borders. It's, it's all of the earth. It says his seed has been planted and the 
the devil has overplanted everywhere, not only in churches, but, but everywhere where there are people. Jesus is describing the activity of, of God's kingdom in the world, not only within the church. And so the enemies of the kingdom, the, the weeds, he says, will always coexist with the sons and, and daughters of the kingdom. But we're always going to share territory and, and, and grounds until the end of the age. And there will always be division and, and hardship and the call for patience outside the church in your everyday life. So to understand Jesus' bigger context, we, we need to understand this. This is known as the parable of the weeds, but I don't want to get stuck in the weeds, pun intended. I want us to see the bigger perspective. It's not only about the here and now, it's about the very end. And so I'm calling it the parable of the harvest, the bigger picture of what God is up to. How far back should we go to see when the enemy sowed seeds? Someone says, well, some churches, I've seen churches split over the color of the carpet, and so they would blame whoever chose the, the terrible color shade of carpet. Like, no, no, no. Let's go a little further back. Let's get a little bit bigger perspective. The enemy has been sowing seeds of dissension and evil and wickedness from the very, very beginning. And from the very beginning, what did God create? Did God create heaven and hell? What did God create? What does Genesis 1-1 say? It says he created the heavens and the earth. And he placed his image bearers, Adam and Eve, in a garden, which was meant to be a place where they could commune with God, where they could have dominion over the earth, where they could operate as they were designed, and they could connect with God. And then the devil came and divided them from God, and he laid over them seeds of doubt that caused them to flee from God and hide from God. And ever since then, God's plan has to get his people back. Think about Israel. Israel was in Egypt uh, slaves for 400 years. Uh, he spoke to Mo God spoke to Moses and what was his message to Moses? I've heard my people's cries. I'm going to call them out of Egypt. Why? For what? So they could come near to me and worship me on my holy mountain. And then they go off for 40 years. And what do they go with? A design for a tabernacle, a place to commune with God. And what do we sing? And what do we praise? And what do we say at Christmas time? The coming of Jesus, the Messiah, we know him as Emmanuel, God with us. John 1, he came and made his dwelling with us. He tabernacled with us. The whole program of God is to right and restore what was lost in the fall. When Adam and Eve, planting that seed in them, chose a different reality of God, rejected God's good creation, decided to try to find good and evil on their own with ruinous consequences. Now, what did Jesus come to preach? What was Jesus' message? His message was, repent, for the kingdom of God is here. Because I'm here. I'm bringing it back together. I'm coming to restore what was lost in the fall, to bring back 
as designed from the very beginning, heaven and earth very close together. How did he teach us to pray? How do we pray? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Bring it closer together, God. Bring uh, your, your presence closer to this reality, close enough for us to touch and see. That is the message of Jesus. It's a message that brings harmony and peace and love to his people. Jesus brought the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. And so the whole story of the Bible is God made a perfect world for his glory. He put his image bearers on, on it to oversee it and to worship him. And how long did that last? A red hot minute? Jesus has come to put things right again. And what does it look like when Jesus puts things right again? At first, when you accept Christ, he messes everything up, doesn't he? What does it look like when he turns our world right side up? It looks like he turns everything upside down. All of our priorities shift, but they shift in the direction in which we were designed to live. He's bringing heaven to earth. What about hell? What about hell? If there are kids here, plug their ears. Jesus came to get the hell out of the world. See, you use that as a, as a swear thing, right? When we say, you know, get the H-E double hockey sticks out of here. But that's the gospel truth. So if somebody's asking you, well, what do you believe? You say, well, I believe Jesus came to get the hell out of here. Wait, what? Can you explain that? That's the gospel. He came to bring restoration, to take everything out that wasn't meant to be here in the first place. Starting with you and starting with me. To get it out of me. To get it out of you. And he's so patient with us, isn't he? He's so patient with all of our terrible choices and the consequences of our own making. You see, Jesus said that the hell is not only a miserable reality in the future, but it is a, a present hellish reality. Matthew 23, verse 15, he says this. This is the woes of Jesus. I mean, he really was bringing the hammer, especially against uh, his foes. But remember, the foes here, even those that... that uh, send him to the cross. He doesn't say they're the enemy. The devil is the ultimate enemy. But he says this in Matthew 23, 15. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert. And when you've succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. Dang. You catch what he's saying? He's saying hell is something religious hypocrites unleash here and now. The devil has two primary tactics to sow those seeds of doubt that lead to evil and violence and sin. Number one, by heaping burdensome requirements on people through man-made religion. Burdensome requirements on people through man-made religion. That's what Jesus is proclaiming here. Woe to you. You're making people twice the child of hell. And so what's his tactic even now? For us to look at one another, draw comparisons, point a self-righteous finger, and judge people around us. We're playing into the devil's tactic by doing that, by making our world so small, by not seeing God's grace at work in people's lives, by being the own, our own arbiters of justice and not trusting it to the Lord God. 
by, by not calling us to serve and be humble, to be ambassadors of what? Of judgment? No, Paul says we are ambassadors of reconciliation. The devil wants just the opposite. That's tactic number one. Tactic number two is to convince people there's no God. Well, there's a God, but a God of your own making. Whatever suits you. Whatever feels right. Just a, a God that just works that you can just put in your little pocket. Those are called idols. Something that you can manage. And then you know what? Live life as you, seem, as you see fit. You know, there's lots of ways to God. There's lots of philosophies. Why don't we just accept everyone and anything and, and whatever goes, whatever your truth is, it's your truth. And I just want to honor that. That's the second tactic of the devil. And so people aren't using their minds and reason to say no or yes or this is true, this is false. You may claim it to be your truth, but there is ultimate truth. The devil's undoing it in us. And so we need to be patient we need to be humble, but we need to be wise. Jesus' mission was to confront these hells and get them out of the world. So then the question remains, well, why doesn't God do something now? What about all of the, the evil and violence and sin in the world right now? God, just do something right now. Well, two things. Number one, Lord God is patient. We have a mission that we're sent out for. We have this word that we're to take out to all of the world. That's number one. Number two, who among us could decide what's evil and what is right? Who among us could be the arbiters of that, to be the judge? Oh, get rid of this weed and not that weed. We are so, I'll just speak for myself, I am so intertwined. The roots of my life are so intertwined in this world <laughs> that to reach the holy, perfect standard of God, to rip everything out according to that measure, everything in my life would be pulled out, myself included. No, who's the judge? God alone. And his perfect timing. Not Pete Delosantinas and not yours. The good news is, Jesus came to get the hell out of this world. How? How did he do it? He took it onto himself. Jesus saved us. Justice was served to Jesus. Scripture says that Jesus drank the cup of wrath down to its dregs. He said to his disciples, justice will be served. And he was speaking of his own crucifixion and going to the cross. And scripture speaks of, of him going to hell and back again to win this victory that he who is saying we'll fight our battles, that the death and resurrection of Jesus restores life to whom? To those who are humble and contrite in spirit and turn to the Lord, seeking his grace. Those who have ears to hear, let them hear. Judgment day is a certainty. Not one of us knows how many days on this earth we have. God is coming in judgment. The form of his son, Jesus Christ, the son of man, will come. And there will be a judgment day. And that is the urgency as evangelicals that we bring, the urgency of which we bring to confront uh, the ailments of this world, the urgency in which we come to bring God's kingdom to bear 
on the worst and tragic circumstances of this world. Those who have ears to hear, let them hear. And so we come perfectly timed to the table. The table he's provided for us. Friends, this is not an altar. There's, there's only one sacrifice. It's a completed sacrifice in Christ, so there's no need for an altar. Altars are where there are sacrifices made. That's what happened in the tabernacle. That's what happened in all the ceremony. It's done. He's the perfect Lamb of God. This is now a table, and it is a representation of the kingdom feast that sons and daughters adopted into God's family will partake in. But it's more than a symbol. Christ is truly present here, present to commune with us. So I invite you to close your eyes and join me in prayer in just a moment. We're going to pray uh, for forgiveness of our sin. We're going to pray for God to meet us in this moment. Let's pray even now. So God, I pray that you would be very present to us in this meal, that this bread that we break and this cup that we bless may be the very communion of the body and blood of Christ. Make us one with Christ and with all who share this feast everywhere, Lord. Think of Pastor Kurt talking to him the other day of 90% of the missionaries in Pakistan have been driven out and there's terrible persecution among uh, in Pakistan for Christians, even though we, we know so many Christians there. They've had to go underground. Lord God, our spirit is with them. Our spirit is with all those that are suffering uh, evil and violence and sin at the hands of, of the evil one, even now. But God, first and foremost, I pray that you would hear our confession before you now. Forgive us of our sins. Forgive us of things that we've done and things we've left undone. Forgive us of those, those doubts that we, we allow into us that we entertain. Remove it, O oh God, and fill us with something that's going to nourish us here at your table. And we'll pray as you taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. 